Welcome to the Pivoting Out of Education podcast, where hosts Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard will share their stories of folks who have left campus-based positions in education and K-12 to leverage their skills in other contexts. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average person holds 12 jobs between the ages of 18 and 50. Educators, like Jamie and Tom, often enter their careers thinking they will stay in education forever, perhaps because they're trained to think that way, or perhaps it is hard to see other pathways. Both of your hosts pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they want to give back and support others trying to do the same. Thanks for listening in and enjoy today's episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Studdard. And I am super excited today to welcome one of my favorite people who I connected with through social media first, I believe. I don't think we met in, in person at, at the beginning, Laura Pasquini. And we've just sort of stayed in contact that way. So the beauty of social media and networking is definitely something that I've benefited from, especially with getting to know you. Laura, would you like to say hello to our listeners? Hi, listeners. Great to be here. I'm glad I can join this. Thanks, Tom and Jamie, for the invite to chat around pivots, education, and all things above. So thanks for the invite. Yeah, thank you. And, and Laura is definitely not a stranger to podcasts. In fact, I've been on yours at least one time, I believe, but now it's all blending together because we just chat randomly throughout time. Is it recorded? I don't know. Let's just chat anyway. But (laughs) I think you're a great person to have on this show, A, because you're super interesting, just in general and fun, and you have a fun Canadian accent, even though you probably don't think that you do, A. And... Also, because you you have had your hand and expertise both in student affairs and in academic affairs, and now you're in a corporate environment. And I think a lot of that are, are kind of conscious decisions that you've made as far as following something that you wanted to pursue. I've also seen that you have been able to kind of manage a lot of different things on the side that seem to fuel you a lot of research. That was definitely one of the ways I gravitated toward some of the stuff you posted in the beginning, because I was like, oh, I want to read this. This is about online education. And sometimes it was student-supported online education. So you've done that and you've got podcasts. And so without further ado, I would love to get started and have you kind of give us a snapshot of what your experience has been in education, specifically in campus-based roles, but, you know, feel free to kind of include those things that you did opt to do in an adjacent position too. Sure, Jamie. Thanks for recognizing my podcast problem first off the bat. Um, Part of that- Clearly it spreads to us. (laughs) It does. It's catching like wildfire. I have a few podcasts we talk about later, but I think the through line on this is the learning piece. So I don't probably do anything without being challenged in my own learning and the work that I'm doing. So- My background overall is looking at communities and that through line started from undergrad. Like I studied history and no shock to the listener of revolution. So I studied the French and Haitian revolution, the colonizer and the colonized, Cuba and the revolution and the women within the revolution. So advocacy. So a lot of what I did from there into formally studying K-12 education, my master's of science, to my PhD is in learning performance, looking at 
bottom up of how the people come together, gather and make changes to organizations, infrastructures and the way things are designed. That's pretty much been my come through. I don't I think there's power in people coming together, whether it's to amplify voice on a podcast or make structural changes that need to happen because it's not going to come from a top down method. So a lot of what my work in education has been, I guess, in some ways, thinking about inclusion and access and how do we offer those in multiple ways? So whether it was me in an academic advising role, which I did, or with new student programs and residence life when I lived in, in a living learning environment, I've had the opportunity to work a few different institutions on a campus, lived on a campus. And from that, I think it's always been about bringing ideas, knowledge, and access to those at different viewpoints, whoever's coming to that table of learning. And I think, and I hope that I still do the work. I work outside of higher education now, but we forget that higher ed is an industry, maybe just a poorly run one sometimes. But I think there are some lessons learned that can be transferred between and both. So I don't necessarily think it's a shift away. It's a shift to understand something else is kind of where I'm at in my world. And I'm happy to share uh, in my kind of career pivots, kind of why I took those challenges on and what I'm doing now. But overall, I think a lot of the through line will be if I'm not being challenged and I'm and I'm being bored, that means I'm probably not learning myself. And I probably only do these other things on the side because it's fueling me and it's giving me ideas that I can weave into what I'm already interested in community and connection. So Laura, two things really stand out from that. One, we were both history majors. And so that makes me really excited to talk with another history major. I did not study revolution. I, I spent most of my time really focused on essentially like ancient world history. So Greco-Roman, Egyptian, et cetera. And I remember thinking when we would get to American history, I'm like, okay, this is boring. This is too recent. So I appreciate that that was your major in college. But it's the funny sec- you say that, Tom, because unlike the two of you, I'd say all of it is boring. <laughs> but you know what? The good news is my husband makes up for it because he absolutely loves history. So That's you all could have a great time. I wouldn't be included in the party. I'd be like, I'm just going to sit over here in the corner and drink. <laughs> but Laura, the second thing that sort of stood out for me is this sort of the line that you have drawn, which is the learning line, right? The, you're not being challenged. Uh, you're not being, if you're not being challenged or pushed in a learning environment, it sort of, it becomes boring to you. And I think that that will resonate quite a bit with our listeners, particularly those who are looking to make a pivot because perhaps they're not being challenged because they're not feeling like their skills are being utilized or that they're not learning something new. And so I want to dig into that just a little bit more and, and maybe have you share with our listeners sort of how that that focus on learning has helped you navigate your career path, both you know previously when you were more in the campus-based positions to today, when you're working in learning and development position at the current place that you're at. Yeah, I think something I was told in my undergrad, so my revolution side comes from the hippie school. I went to the University of Guelph in Canada. Like we used to protest the raising of rents and there was a small tent village on our Johnston Green until administration at the university made a change. And from that starting point, I think I realized, oh, we as a group can learn new ways of knowing and being and doing in the world. And those kind of initial actions and voices I had as a student, I think, and I was inspired as a student, whether I take that to a nonprofit or a first marketing job I had or I was a lifeguard. The things that we create or make in spaces, 
and the swimming pools and the swim instruction lessons I had, I think I always thought of it as if there's a problem, then you can be part of that solution. And learning often is, and it's looked to and probably leaned on more than not these days in industry as the solution when it's not always the case. So it's something that I knew I could carry with me. And I always enjoyed it. I grew up with a teacher. I went to the library on a regular basis. So I was surrounded by from books to things to challenge me. And I was fortunate that I grew up at that point of privilege where I had access to those things. And slowly when I started working as a lifeguard in a different community in the same city, I realized not everyone has the same point of access or understanding. So I think I saw it as a way to open doors and the campus-based roles that I was part of. I saw that there was ways to lead from within and so even if I had moved to a new institution or a new university or a new role, so I was an academic advisor, I was part of the supplemental and tutoring instruction, I was a residence hall first year seminar teacher, I could still lead from where I was. And that learning piece got me interested in a new idea, a new type of student I was working with, a new program I was initiating, or a new project that the university was trying to go forward and I could contribute to. There's just a point I think you realize you stop learning or you've grown in that role. And it doesn't mean you can't move around. It's like everyone thinks there's a career ladder up. I always looked and I, my last offer before I left was a, a pivot to the side. And I looked at an online learning library position. I was offered a role and I said, I don't know if I'm going to grow more in that role. I love what everything it has to do and offer, but I just reached the point where I was like, I don't know if that will challenge me to my next step enough. And I never really looked like I had to move up, but I was looking around like, how do I learn these other skills? How do I know something else in this other domain? And that's why I was at one campus, a student, staff, and faculty, sometimes at the same time. So there are some pieces to that that really push the boundaries of, I guess, role, title, and this hierarchy that I never really believed in because of that revolutionary thing in history I followed. What's really cool, I think, about your story, and, and particularly going back to this learning as the line sort of connects the dots is, you know, I know that's why I went into an educational role, right? Like, yes, both my parents and two of my four grandparents had teaching degrees, but I went in because it was sort of this this is going to sound bad, but a lust for learning, right? It was, I, I wanted to continuously better myself. It wasn't necessarily, like you said, to climb up the ladder. In fact, I made the conscious decision when I was a brand new student affairs staff member to take lateral positions in multiple departments so that when I did take that next step up, I was ready for like a monumental leap up, not just a, I'm going to go be an assistant director and a director. And da, da, da. it was like, okay, I'm going to do all these program coordinator roles so that I can go right to director. And I did that specifically because I wanted to learn all the different areas to make myself a more well-rounded professional. And to me, it sounds like what you did with your career is, is not necessarily something similar, but in the same vein as that. And I, I really appreciate that as somebody who, like, that's why we go into education, right? Because we want to learn, we want to help others learn. Yeah. And something to that point, Tom, I like that you point that out is my first roles, like my first after my master's role was a hybrid role, which I loved. It was a residence hall director and also a first year advisor with academic advising and the opportunity to teach a career class, which I really dig. And those were all areas I really enjoyed and didn't know. And I wanted to job sample. And so when I got hired at the University of Toronto to join this advising and career center, sat in student affairs had an academic advising, but I could also do career exploration and development and career counseling and employment kind of things and learn things I didn't know about labor, employment. And 
it's kind of a, if I can't find it in the role, because I love those high gritty roles, we should have more of them in, in higher ed and in academia and probably in, in industry where I'm at. That really gets you to flex the different types of muscles. So if I can't do that within a role, could I create a project? Could I join a committee? Could I do an initiative that's related to that? Or now, do I do that outside the job that I do? And is that bringing me to a place where my cup feels full? So like, I don't love everything that Simon Sinek does, but it is finding your why. And he talks about connecting what's your why. And I think about my why from what I kind of piecemealed in my student affairs life is figuring out that I love bringing community together. I value lifelong learning. And I really want to make sure that I could support that through career development, not just of my own, but others. So if I didn't feel like I was on a team, I didn't need to supervise that team, but I could lead within my team to offer support, professional development, coaching, mentoring, then I was probably in a good space and I was happy with that. And yeah. So Laura, so talk to us about what you're doing now and well, maybe even not just what you're doing now, but what have you done since leaving sort of the quote unquote campus-based education role? Sure. So when I finished my PhD is probably when I left a true campus role. I was a faculty member in 2014, but June 2014, I defended my PhD in workplace learning performance, formerly called Applied Technology Performance Improvement, and I joined the faculty ranks. And so at that point, I will say a faculty role gives people more autonomy and agency. And I was a lecturer, full-time senior lecturer, full-time appointment, so not an adjunct, had full benefits, full access to the things all faculty have and less pressure on the tenure track to publish. So an opportunity to do a bit of research and teaching, uh, 80% teaching and 20% service at that campus. And I had an appointment remotely at railroads to do research as well. So I was in a faculty role from that point on. So I'm used to this remote life. I go to campus every couple of weeks, maybe once a month, but most of my courses were teaching online. When I was leaving that campus role, I didn't realize how much time was needed to spend on your own time in management, what it means to be a productive self and faculty who are productive in their work are really good at being solo entrepreneurs because you do have to manage all the things around you. You do have to understand that you have a pipeline of work and research. You do have some administrative grading sort of things, but that's when I first left, when I first left a campus, I was still at a campus and I started up my own consulting agency at that point. If you're talking about my pivot away from education, I think that was just launching started for that in 2019 when I decided that I need to think about what I wanted to do next. And I don't know if we ever have passions, but I do know that we do have pathways. And I had some ideas of what I wanted to do after faculty teaching, learning at one institution and research at another. So I, I just kind of came to the end of my projects. I came to the end of my work and research position appointment. And I was kind of like, is this for me? Probably not. And so I started thinking about, well, what would it be to change my career? And who could I talk to to pivot in and out? And Jamie was one of the people I talked to that made those pivots. I asked people who came in higher ed and came out of higher ed and like why, what they did and what they learned along the way. That's right. I remember now that I was on, that was the podcast I was on because you were, you were searching. And I think that's a good lesson for our listeners is to chat with people who are in various industries. I think too, a lot of times people will think more like, what do I want to do? Which is makes sense. And how do my skills transfer? But 
what I appreciated about you and your sort of your path to discovery to where you're at now is that you also wanted to understand the culture of the context with which you might move to, i.e. like corporate versus campus-based positions. And, and you thought a lot about like, how do I want my days to be? Do I want to go into an office? Am I okay working remotely? What do I prefer? I mean, it was kind of like a full package of consideration. And that's something I do think that our listeners should be like really, really considering. To that end, are there any additional things that you would encourage them to consider as well as, you know, any strategies that you have that you could offer for how do they would document the transferability of their skills? Yeah. So you don't have a podcast, which is really good. Just pretend. Let's pretend you're not you like Laura um, and have done 10. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did. Like I did 10 interviews with people recorded, but I probably did 10 more and then some informational. So informational interviewing is a really good way to understand For me, it wasn't so much about a role or a title. I wanted to know, like, forget the nouns. I want to know the verbs. Like, what are the things you do on the daily that you enjoy? What does that look like? How are you being challenged? And identifying, like, the how you work. I already knew. So the good thing about being a faculty member is I enjoyed working remotely on teams. I liked projects. I knew the things that I liked, and I knew... It was a blended of in-person and collaboration, some research, some design work. So I use those years to sample some of the work. And I don't think we do enough of that testing out and experimenting with our own work selves. We think we're just going to go to the next position. But if you don't practice these things like playing with audio tools is one thing I did. Animation explainer videos on whiteboards because we had to explain a 40-page research paper in two minutes in lay terms. And so I think... Testing out like things that you know that you're okay with. So some of that helped me figure out what I like to do. And I was asked early on, probably after my PhD, someone asked me if I could write my own job position. And I said, that's a great activity. So one thing I get a lot of my folks that I work with these days around careers, like what would be in that description? What would you be doing? What would that look like? What are things you're working on? How are you working So I always ask that because roles and titles are funny in any industry. Um, So they sometimes mean something, sometimes they don't. I'm currently a program manager, also a senior instructional designer. That means so many things to so many different people. And depending on the context, where you do it, who you work with, I don't think I do any of those things. I think I, it's actually program project management is probably key. Who knew I do localization translation, who doing some performance improvement things and assessments. There's so many things packed into roles that we don't aren't aware of. So I want to know more about the companies, the teams, and the organizations that we're supporting learning. And since I taught in a learning design, instructional design, facilitation, and HR courses, what I taught, I used to have my students go investigate the top 125 training orgs, because Training Magazine has that listed every year. You may not want to work in all of them, but why are they listed as the top learning orgs? And I used to have my students also reach out beyond informational interviews, do some recon for organizations and talk to some employees in potential roles to understand what roles meant. Not just, I want to work at your place. I want to know what you did and how you got there. So I think, and I know my, my younger self, my six-year-old self who bought the book, Do What You Are, is figure out your career, your MBTI, always wanted to know like where are we working to our potential And what does that mean to find that? And so if you know yourself first well enough, that's a good starting place. And then getting to know what else is out there. And I I don't think we've ever stopped to say, 
what do I actually do? The best thing I think any of your listeners could do is look at your resume, forget the title, because no one knows what an assistant dean or a coordinator is. Tell me the actual things you do. And in each role, I would guess that you probably do multiple roles in one. So break down those like actions, those verbs, those practices, and what you've actually accomplished. And you'd be surprised how much more interesting your role is without the title, if you could just tell people what you did in plain English. That's really great advice because let's be real, you know, all of us who work in higher education, when we go home to our family and say that we do X, they have no idea what that means. You know, I And they ask you if you teach. Right. <laughs> I was so relieved when I finally became full-time faculty member and I was like, actually, yes, that's what I do. <laughs> when when I was an assistant dean of students, the the follow-up question was, what does that mean? You know, when I was a director of orientation, I think most people sort of understood what that was, but Nobody understood assistant dean of students, and certainly nobody understood resident director or hall director. Like that was a, the most you know confusing term to everybody. But you know, I think that what you share there with the titles is so right. And then the follow up to that, and I'm really glad you pointed this out, Laura, is you know the the bullets on your resume. You know, we've Jamie and have had this conversation sort of ad nauseum with folks who have contacted us, and and we're going to have a, a practical pivot about this as well. Is your resume in higher ed is different than your resume in corporate. And it's not about the title and the 19,000 things that you were responsible for in in your position, which we know in student affairs, that's likely you had 19,000 things that you were responsible for, but it's about what the impact was and what what the accomplishments were and what the results were. And to being able to translate that from, you know, this is what I did and this is what the impact was is really important. You know, it, it sort of goes into... For, for those who work in student affairs and, and to some extent in higher education as a whole, like, you know, what are the learning outcomes? That's what our resume is right now. And what it needs to be is what are the results of those learning outcomes? You know, it's not just like, I want X number of students to do Y. It's that no, X number of students did Y. And I saw that growth year over year. And that's what really, you know, as somebody who interviews and, and employs people, you know, that's what I'm looking for on a resume. And, and you highlighted that so perfectly. Yeah. And what got me thinking about this also was, I guess, whenever you hit a niner in your year, like you're 29, 39, 59, whatever, you're like, what am I doing the next decade? I will say the beginning of that year, I wrote a prolific blog post. I'm happy to share with your listeners. I, and it was around engineering your passion. Like, I don't think anyone has a passion. I think you find that. And I started asking my questions, myself questions around uh, the things that I like to do, a job, work, hobby. And I heard a really good interview it was it was with Elizabeth Gilbert and talking about on the Hello Monday podcast. Big fan of that. And I could put some links of some things I read along the way, but that's one of them. Elizabeth Gilbert talked about hobbies, jobs, careers, and vocations. Right, that Venn diagram of the middle is the purpose, the reason for being is in the center. Right, and not all the times in your career will you have that come together in that sweet little flower diagram. It might be separate and. The big questions I started reading about in the book called Dark Horses was around legacy, mastery, and action. And what do you want to be leaving behind? What sort of things like skills put you in a state of flow? Or what are you doing today that you're going to move yourself forward from now? And so that really started to resonate as I was reading books around pivoting and looking at not just job search, because it's more than a job, but career trajectory. Like, am I putting myself on a place to launch. And so that year, 2019, yeah, summer was when I talked to Jamie and I have like a career changer series. I'm happy to share with your listeners. And I have cliff notes that are shown as like this. And then I quit my job 
two weeks before school started in, in August because I knew that I needed to launch myself and I had some savings put away and I had some like space with the contracts I was doing with a couple of consulting gigs. So I knew I'd find something, but if I didn't do that and take myself out of what I was doing daily, then I would never make the time. And I had some affordances. I have a partner that supported me, also questioned me. So I had to pay for my own healthcare at that point in time. I had to think about what, what I was going to do if I didn't have a job by the end of the year. But I did take the space and time to do some of the work ahead of time and prep to launch to where I am now. And it's not easy to do, even if you have the skills and talents. It wasn't easy then, and it's even harder now. So that was 2019, and we're in a pandemic, and things are only more difficult. So I always encourage folks that if you're going to jump into this leap, is to have a runway and a plan. Like you can launch yourself later, but what are you doing now that you want to make time for to grow, develop, research, or figure out for your future self? So these are drastic times. So don't jump out of the plane just yet, even if you have a parachute. Figure out when you can launch yourself and when that ready point is going to be for you, because it's going to be very individual for everyone. Yeah, I, Laura, what you said right there is, and, and full transparency, uh, Jamie and I have a chat message that we go back and forth with potential names of your show, and you have just literally dropped so many different <laughs> phrases. And the, the concept of, of you know, knowing your path and, and being able to launch into whatever that path is, is right. It's, you know, I hear so many people who have contacted us since we even started talking about the podcast, you know, I'm, I'm ready to leave. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm tired. Da, 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 da. And, you know, our conversation with them every time is you need to set yourself up to be ready to do that. It's not just to walk out the door. Cause like you said, there's so many factors to consider, you know, there's employment, there's health insurance, there's all the things that sort of come with being employed. And of course, you're in the middle of a global pandemic, you know, on one hand that, you know, there's certain industries that, that are going to, you know, sort of benefit from that and are hiring. And then there's others that are laying off. And so the, the sort of prepare for your, prepare your plan and prepare for your launch, I think will resonate so well. And, and if it doesn't resonate with you as a listener, you know, I want you to sort of rethink, like, what am I doing? What am I thinking about? How am I going about this process? So I, I really appreciate that. I want to know from you, Laura, like, you know, you've been out of sort of a campus-based position for a little bit. I'm curious, you know, what do you miss about the campus-based campus-based jobs? And then, you know, what do you like about being out of the campus-based roles? Yeah, technically, we also, fun fact, call our place of work at campus. Campus is shut down in the pandemic. So I was technically back in an office for a hot minute for one month in February of 2020. So I do miss kind of the bumping into other types of teams. So I was in an open plan environment. Um, I, I really am grateful for the being able to work from home, work remotely, and it has leveled the playing field. So unlike campus environments, I'm on a truly global team. So that means I'm up at 5 a.m. sometimes and also 8 p.m. to sync across the globe. And I love the people I work with. So I think it's offered us some equity across our team. I miss, though, listening into other conversations and jumping in and giving an idea about something that's happening with Kindle publishing that I have nothing to do with, or author publishing, or figure out a funny data thing with my neighbor next to me. So there are these other things that happen at getting coffee, bumping into an event, uh, things that will happen. Like we do really bring really cool authors. So uh, the joys of working at Amazon, you bring in, we bring in some great authors that have speaking engagement events. So I miss some of that. So it doesn't networking and meeting people and being social. I guess I'm one of the few extroverts on my team. I miss that. And it makes more 
it makes me sad because it does require a bit more intention, but it's not impossible. And we're figuring out other ways to do that now. Being on a campus, true campus college or university, I think there's the idea that we have a shared understanding that we're all here to learn. And when you're in a corporate or different sector, you have different focus. Your business goals are different and the outcomes you're seeking are different. So the mission's not always learning specific or learning only. We have a principle called learn and be curious, but that's a young one at Amazon that was only brought in at 2015. And I think we know that we can do better and work across our orgs and verticals. And as a program manager and being part of that learning experience design community, it's kind of fun to play in the sandbox of a place that doesn't have it all figured out. So I don't know if higher ed does either, but in a place that's willing to experiment and learn and be curious with each other, join a virtual event. So how cool is it that we got to host our second conference and it was virtual and over 5,000 people from 65 countries came. And I've just learned so many things from my peers of who their learners are, as we say, customers and who and how they're delighting them and how they're working with them or they're figuring out ways to engage, especially because we are all virtually and remote and not all teams will go back. U.S. based ones probably will, but around the world, this pandemic isn't slowing down. So the other thing I probably miss is I guess there's just a different feel. I think I'm a bit more productive not being in an office because I am social. So it does let me to focus and deep dive on some things and get down to managing my own schedules and workflow. So that's kind of the upside. And if I want to pop out and go for a hike because I got up at 5 a.m., but I want to hike at 11, I can. And so there's some flexibility on that. Probably have heard someone and some Amazonians mentioned in the news, they go kayaking and hiking midday. That's not a good call, not a good reason not to go back to the office, I feel. So I would, I would still go back to the office. There's some perks to that too. <laughs> but it does think about equity amongst introverts, extrovert, neurodiverse folks, people with disabilities, access points around the world, and not being a place specific. So I do work at an org that's not so geo-specific anymore. And I like that because it means other voices can be amplified and brought to the table when we make decisions. So that's been kind of cool. That's a, a really great point. And I, I think I've seen that in my workplace on a smaller spectrum, but you know, we hire or we work with a provider that hires success coaches. And I have enjoyed seeing the fact that we've provided an opportunity for people to balance, well, notably women, because for some reason we really get very few male applicants, but it's most of our coaches are women who are either re-entering the workforce you know, from having their children or just finding or have found through through us the opportunity to be able to balance both identities, you know, by having this remote position. And I think that's still possible if you're location based, you know, a part time job. But what I like is that we're still able to be selective on and really feel like we are getting super high quality candidates because they could live anywhere. We're not bound to just those folks living in the, you know, even LA area, which is still ginormous. So I just, I really appreciate the depth and breadth really of the candidates that we see and the access that it's providing for people who I think a lot of our coaches probably just wouldn't work. So mm-hmm. So I think it's it's great. And you give a lot of other intersections of identity that are finding different ways to, to belong in this space. So great, great points there. I think what we'd like to do now is challenge you with a question, which is, what do you see next for yourself? And then our last is just if there's any additional advice that you have 
for listeners, although I feel like given the 80 quotes I have written down, there's already a lot of nuggets you've shared. So anything else that you would, would close out with or add? When you say, it's funny, I knew that you asked this question, uh, what's next? I think we never just be, I'm trying to be where I am. And part of being in it and the world of work is huge in our life. It, it recognizes it's not the only thing in our life. So are you in a place in where you're working in your role? And this is what I'm asking myself. Am I here? Am I happy? Do I like my team, my manager? Am I doing most of the things I like? Great. Then maybe just being where you are instead of looking at for the next is kind of where I'm at these days. Because I don't think we sit with things long enough. And sometimes it needs a few seasons to get us through that. The other thing I'm, I guess I've been doing a pandemic, which Jamie knows, I started thinking about what I'm not doing in my daily role. So that's not filling my cup. And one of them is working with others around their career pathways. So it's cool that you're doing a podcast like this. I really think it's really important. So coaching is what I've been doing lately. It's a, a different muscle than advising or mentoring my grad students or advising undergrads. It's asking people powerful questions to figure out what their next transitions and pathways are. And funny enough, people come to me thinking they want to pivot out of education, higher ed. And then I ask them questions and they're like, maybe I don't. So I think part of why I'm enjoying that a lot these days is working with people to bring out what they already know and having them identify their potentials and what they haven't recognized within themselves. So that's been kind of a cool, weird beacon of light in my pandemic journey this year. So doing a coach training, working on hours towards my ACC level through the National Coaching Federation through ICF, working on that and helping to have others figure out their what they're doing and a lot of the work I do in coaching is around transitions so if anyone wants to talk with me not just me I've got a wealth of other friend coaches in my cohorts that would be great but a lot of it is figuring out that who am I in that identity work and we forget about that because in higher ed at least you are wrapped around your role often your place what you've done in the past what's on that resume or cv and we never stop to go, is that me? And if there's a question or something changes that, whether it's life, a pandemic, or something that you've realized you want to do, uh, what does that mean? And the finding who I am part has been a fun kind of conversations I've been having with folks. So I don't know. I don't know if that's a next thing, but that's a now thing that I'm enjoying. So I feel like that also wraps it in some advice too, which, you know, there's a good synergy here, which is that I got to have a coaching session with you as part of your training process. And I actually think my biggest, my biggest question was when is kind of the right time to pivot? And I don't know that we answered the right time part as much as really you helped me think through the things that I would want to make sure I have in a day-to-day -day work experience, which then helped me decide, oh, okay, like I actually, I, my cup is pretty full here where I'm at. There are some things I'm still, you know, missing inclusive of the same thing that you described that you've found doing outside that you did with me, which was super beneficial. So I can definitely vouch for that being a really, really transformative and useful experience. And if anybody hasn't met with a coach and had a proper coaching session, I would highly recommend that you do that because Although you might come to it expecting to get advice, you will get a lot of questions with which you actually have the answers to, but you don't realize it in the first place. So I, I think that you've kind of shared your career path plus advice at the same time. 
But with that, any, any final advice that you did want to add? Not to yeah, this is the only time I can, is. this is the only time we can offer advice is because as a coach, you're right. We don't, true coaches don't. We walk alongside to help support any goals that you're working on. And yeah, I think, I think knowing yourself first and knowing what else is out there is always important, but knowing that it just might be the time right now. So don't panic, no escape hatches, unless you've got a shoot, a backup shoot and whatever else before you jump out of your plane. And know that you've scaffolded like you've prepared yourself for what that looks like and if this pandemic has you thinking i should be doing other things yeah but maybe it's not work i don't know maybe your job's just your job dare i say and maybe you think about finding joy elsewhere and and wrapping your efforts around that as well i think i think that's something i've learned more than not in this pandemic family that's far away friends the things you do and what you love to do in your part-time life should be more full-time for you. Yeah, as I listen to that, one of the things that really sort of strikes me is when I was in higher education, particularly on a campus-based position, my identity was wrapped up in who in what I did. When people asked me anything about myself, my first response was always, I'm an assistant dean, I oversee orientation at USC, et cetera. And you know, I, partly I think that comes from the culture of higher education. And I think partly it's as I've gotten older, I, you know, I've, I've, I've left higher ed, but also as I've gotten older, there's a difference in, in what I value. You know, I still certainly in when, when I describe myself, I still talk about the work that I do because I'm passionate about it, but it's not usually the first thing that I say anymore. And I think some of that is cultural and some of that is, you know, as I've aged, I've realized what is important beyond sort of the day to day coming into to work. And, and I think that that is something that our listeners need to hear, particularly, you know, those of our listeners who are in their first position in student affairs or in a campus-based role and, and, and their identity is a hall director, their identity is an orientation coordinator. And as, as, as we grow and develop, it's part of that is understanding that that doesn't have to be our identity for the rest of our lives. And it's okay to make that pivot, but you're right. Think about your parachute, think about your backup parachute, think about your your sort of plan for your launch and, and be ready for that. Laura Pasquini, actually Dr. Laura Pasquini, I want to make sure that we iterate that or reiterate that. I think that that's an important aspect of who you are and, and something to be celebrated. So I just want to say thank you very much for being on our show today. The advice that you've given, you know, I think will certainly resonate with our listeners. It's resonating with me. It's I know it's resonating with Jamie as well. And and the the nuggets of wonderful content that you've dropped in this short 45 minutes, I think are going to be really helpful for our listeners. And for our listeners, do know that Laura talked about some of her podcasts and some of her coaching. We will post those in the show notes. So make sure that you check those out uh, because there's there's some great there there for, for you all. To everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure that you catch us next week for another episode of Pivoting Out of EDU. As always, thank you to our guests for joining us. Additionally, special thanks to our sound editor, John Alexander. We spend one third of our life at work. It should be something we believe in and have a passion for. It's okay if that passion changes. If you are thinking about pivoting out of education or know someone who is, visit our website at pivotingoutofedu.com for advice, testimonials, and blog articles. Have advice to share or would like a private consultation? Contact Jamie or Tom via the website or at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com.